You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Friedrich Nietzsche said, by the time I die, so will the church. Karl Marx said this, God is dead and we have killed Him. Oasis said, we are bigger than God. And tonight I'm gonna tell you why the church is growing from strength to strength all over the world. I want you to know why what you read in the media can't be trusted about the state of the church because we're gonna talk tonight on the church, God's plan A for humankind. So make sure you come back tonight and we're gonna spend some time leaning into that in Jesus' Name, Amen. We're starting a new series. We're talking about the Psalms of Ascent. You'll know that every year around this time, we'll do a book of the Bible, Galatians, Ephesians, we've done Philippians. And uh, we're gonna take the Psalms of Ascent, which run from Psalm 120 through to Psalm 134. Now, we don't have the 14 weeks available of Sundays, so we're gonna take a uh, one, uh, we're gonna miss out a few is basically what I'm saying. But we wanna take you on a journey of understanding the Psalms of Ascent and why they are there. And really, the whole overview of the series is really thinking about home. I think when we talk about home, we have different images come to mind. For some of us, we may cast our mind back to our childhood or teenage years, and hopefully they were good memories. For some, we recognise maybe not so much so. But how many of you know there's no place like home? Dorothy said it, didn't she, in The Wizard of Oz? There's no place like home. Just the smell of home. Just the familiarity of home. The fact that when you're home, you can do what you want. You can wear what you want. You can listen to what you want, as long as God honouring, it's home. And I think usually what happens is this, is when we've been on a long journey, even if it's on vacation, even if we've been on holiday, when you walk through the doors of home, home, it's a beautiful feeling. Now, you've got to know, church, that the Bible is a story about home. The overarching, the the meta-narrative is one of home that God created humankind in His image in a perfect garden. And then because of sin, because of Adam's sin, we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And the journey since then has been a journey of coming home. It's the reconciliation of relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, culminating in Revelation 21 verses one to four that says this, God's dwelling place is now among His people. And so the reality is this, as as we think about the Psalms of Ascent, we're thinking about home. And even though the Psalms of Ascent really tell the story or the songs that were sung by the Jewish pilgrims as they made one of their three annual trips to the annual festivals in Jerusalem, it was a recognition by the Jewish people of home of Jerusalem. They may have lived in other places, but it was a recognition that there was something bigger at work. That's why friends, when you go home after being away, you go home. And when you get to heaven, exactly 
the same thing will happen. Home. In the presence of Jesus. That's why when, when people who we know and love, who love Jesus, who pass away, we actually don't weep for them. We weep for ourselves. We mourn for our loss, but they are home. They've experienced home. You know, when I had my uh, series of operations in my right eye in 2021, it's my, really my first time ever in hospital, never be, had anaesthetic. Never been put to sleep. And uh, the person who was injecting me, he says, Glenn, I'm just gonna give you some gin and tonic to help you with the operation. That's the last thing I remember as he injected me, not with gin and tonic, with the, the anaesthetic. And, um, and all I know is, is three, four hours later, somebody is just nudging me saying, hey, Glenn, Glenn, would you like some tea and toast? I, I wonder if that's what death's like. I wonder if it's like one moment we're here and next minute, tea and toast, Glenn. Welcome, good and faithful servant. So in Psalms of Ascents, what we've done is this, is we've called the series Songs for the Road because we're on a journey. And you know what this is like, friends, going on holiday. Coming up on screen is a map and this is where I used to go on holidays every year as a child. I used to live in a place called Toowoomba, right there in the middle with a red dot, Toowoomba. It's an Aboriginal name, Australian Indigenous name. It means two swamps. And these two swamps were actually on top of a volcano. So I lived two and a half thousand feet above sea level. Every winter we would go on holidays to the beach. Mum and Dad uh, couldn't afford the summer vacation fare. And so what would happen is this, is we would go for a drive and we would go down through Gatton or maybe a little bit north through Highfields. We'd go to Esk first and we'd stop there because um, usually one of us needed a bathroom break or something like that. And then we'd drive a little bit further to a place called Kilcoy. And every time we'd come to Kilcoy, Mum would always have brought some sandwiches and we'd stop at a park and we would have some sandwiches in the park and then we would make our way to Caloundra. Oh, the Caloundra, just, just, just we, we, we kind of knew, we went every year, we knew where the point was where you would see the ocean for the first time. And my sister and I would be looking out for the ocean for the first time. It says, if you go that way, two hours, 46, but we would go through high fields and, and the other way would take about three hours. Now, gotta be honest, the trip was not as comfortable then as it would be now. Here's some cars that my dad used to own coming up on screen. Oh yeah, the car on the left-hand side is a Datsun 200B. We had that probably, I reckon, about seven years. My dad was six foot four and a half. And as he drove his head, he had to literally bend his head like that. And so my, when my dad passed away, uh, when, my, when my dad left Australia, uh, complicated, when my dad gave my car, the car to my sister, there, there was an indentation on the roof from his head. The reason he was bald, because he rubbed it off on the roof. Uh, the car on the right, that was my favourite. That was the Valiant. The Valiant was a beautiful car. Uh, the next picture is cool because the next picture, that's the Leyland P76. I think it's like a V8 or something like that. My mum learnt to drive in that car. Mum, I know you're watching this service right now live. 
in Australia and I'm gonna tell them the story. I can hear you shouting at me, but I'm still gonna tell the story, Mum. My dad decided to teach my mum how to drive in that car. Mum was about five foot one and a half. Dad, six foot four and a half. Dad always drove that big, big car. Gosh, I can still smell the vinyl of the seats. In, in fact, in fact, if you weren't careful in summertime, if you sat in the car in shorts, you would literally burn the skin off your legs. It's crazy. Anyway, Mum said, Dad said to Mum, I'm gonna teach you how to drive. Mum, Mum couldn't see over the steering wheel. You couldn't. You couldn't see over. So what my dad did is he put two cushions on the seat so she could just see above the dash. She drove away from our house and then Dad said, turn the corner. So turn the corner and Dad and, and my mum turned the corner and kept turning the corner and mounted the curb onto the, onto the grass in front of somebody's house where they were having a picnic on their front lawn with a basket and drinks and blankets. The husband and wife and kids ran for their lives as my mum drove straight through the picnicking hamper. Dad managed to grab the wheel, came to a stop and uh, Dad said to Mum, what were you thinking? And Mum said, he, Dad said, why didn't you turn the steering wheel back? And Mum said, you never told me to do that. <laughs> it's true, you know you did Mum, you're almost a murderer. And uh, she never got in the car and drove ever again. And even to this day, Mum doesn't have her licence because she nearly killed some innocent people in Toowoomba. Queensland, Australia. It's not too late, Mum. That's all I'm saying. It's not too late. I know you're 87, but it's not too late. And uh, we can get you like a mini or something like that. And then that, that would work for you. So good. The journey from Toowoomba to Caloundra had lots of twists and turns. And in order to distract me from the sickness, the car sickness, we used to sing some songs. Mum and Dad used to have songs that they would play in the car and we'd, we'd sing along. Have you got the first track for me? Let's see who this is. I don't know if you've ever heard of Nana Muscuri. Nana Muscuri was a Greek singer. We used to, Dad used to play Nana Muscuri. Anybody, anybody, not her, anybody ever heard of her? Oh, some of you have heard of her. Wow, that's okay. You could have at least cheered and made me not feel so lonely. Uh, have you got another one there? It's called The Seekers. And we used to listen to The Seekers and my, my sister and I would roll our eyes at each other. Oh, Nana Muscuri and The Seekers. And so we used to share a little Walkman at times together and listen to ABBA, Super Trooper and things like that. Songs for the road. But, but the idea of the songs is the songs would motivate us and the songs would, would keep us going on this journey that we found ourselves on. And that's the Psalms of Ascent. That was songs for the road. Songs that the pilgrims would sing having left their home on the ascent up to Jerusalem. Psalm 120, our first song of ascent. I call on the Lord in my distress and He answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will He do to you and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows. 
with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. It was a song. It was a song that in, in, to best understand it, we have to understand why David wrote the Psalm. And the reason he wrote Psalm 120 is because King Saul had a servant called Doeg. And Doeg had accused David and some of the priests of treason against King Saul. And so because of that, King Saul is being hunted and hounded, sorry, David is being hunted and hounded by King Saul and he's fleeing for his life. And David in Psalm 120, he's complaining because he's been driven out of home. He's forced to live amongst a warmongering people. He feels misunderstood. He feels like he's been fed to the dogs. Why? Because in verse two, it says, Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. He's being bad-mouthed about. People are having a go at Him. People are accusing Him of certain things. And church, I want you to know that while God does not hear the lies against us, He does hear our prayers against the lies. And what's happening here in Psalm 120 is this, is He's praying against the lies and the liars that have been spoken against Him. Friends, I want you to know it's so true that while our lips are soft, they are as murderous as razors. And what we speak with our mouths can either build up or tear down. In fact, James says this in James 3. He says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of their life on fire and itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, comes both praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And so in order to understand Psalm 120, I need you for a moment to cast your mind back to when someone has lied about you, to when people have been treasonous in their behaviour towards you. When you felt like there's another stab wound in your back, you feel like you've been betrayed. Remember that moment? Remember the hardship? Remember what you felt? Psalm 120, I call on the Lord in my distress and He answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and the deceitful tongues. What will He do to you? And what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. 
I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they speak for war. Several things are taking place here. When you face challenges and you face oppositions, I want you to know what's being tested. In your moment of hardship, the first thing that's being tested is your default. Your default setting is being tested. David says, I will call on the Lord and He answers me. David's default is that he was calling on the Lord. Now your computer, your phone, your internet at home, it all has a default setting. It goes back to factory standard. We all have that in our lives as well. And friends, I want you to know that your instant reaction to things usually shows what your default setting is. Sometimes our instant reaction can be anxiety. Sometimes it's eating. Sometimes it's sleeping. Sometimes it's raising the voice, it's shouting. But friends, we all have a default setting. It's the instant reaction. And really what's happening in Psalm 120 is that it's a challenge for us to really consider what our default is in difficult times and circumstances. Because here's one thing I know, when you have been through a difficult circumstance, and you get to the other side and it's joyful, you will invariably, because of humanity, end up in a difficult circumstance. So what will your default be? David says, I call on the Lord and He will save me. There's something about our default mechanism, our default setting, it's conditioned through our childhood. It's conditioned through life circumstances, through both our triumphs and our tragedies. I can honestly say, friends, that growing up as a child, we weren't wealthy with finances, but our house was wealthy with love. We loved each other, but we didn't have much money. And it took me 10 years as a married man and as a pastor to shake the default setting that said, do I have enough money? In fact, I found that in the first 10 years of being a pastor, first 10 years of married life, opportunities would be presented to Sophia and I for different things. And my instinct was always, how much money do I have? Do I have enough money? And I had to learn to change the default setting from asking, do I have enough money? To then saying, does God want this to be the case? Because what I found is this, is that opportunities rarely come gift wrapped. Opportunities usually come in the shape of a flood and God says, build a boat, but you've got no plans and you've never built a boat before. Opportunities usually look like they come like a wall called Jericho and you don't know how to defeat this army, but you're gonna respond to what God says. You see, friends, you got a choice. You can go back to your human default or you can go back to a divine default. Let me give you another example of this. I've often talked about this when it comes to people in our church who are buying houses. They've come up to me over the years and people say, Pastor Glenn, we're, we're, we're buying a house. I'm like, congratulations, that is so good. How much is a house costing? Well, the house is costing 250,000 pounds. And I'll be like, that's amazing. Why are you buying a house for 250,000 pounds? By the way, everybody, the first house I bought was 29,000 pounds. Just saying. Why are you spending 250,000 pounds on a house? 
And they said, well, listen, we've got a 30 grand deposit, a 220 grand mortgage, you put it together, it's 250 grand. I'm like, fantastic. But why are you buying a house for 250 grand? And they look at me like, yeah, I'm crazy. We've got a 30,000 pound deposit, we've got a 220 grand mortgage, you put it together, it's 250 grand. I'm like, that's brilliant. But why are you buying a house for 250,000 pounds? They look at me like I'm a madman. I said, guys, I, I, I know the maths. But isn't it amazing how what we do is we determine and allow what the mortgage company says we can get to determine our inheritance. You'll know this, don't you? That the Latin word mortgage is death grip. And so what happens is this, is that as children of God, we are allowing a death grip to determine our inheritance. I would suggest, friends, that rather than allowing money to be the determining factor when it comes to your house expansion increase, take a step back and say, okay, Lord, where's my next home? What inheritance are you giving to me that I can pass on to my children and my children's children? And it took me 10 whole years to realise that opportunity has nothing to do with money. But I had to shake a default out of my spirit because of the way I had been conditioned through childhood, through triumphs and through tragedies within my life. Friends, we've got to understand that in our challenge, in our challenging times, what's being tested is our default settings. And you know what your default setting is by your instant response. And with your instant response, my encouragement is just take a stop, have a think. And say, okay, is this default godly? Is it godlike? Does it honour God? Or is it based in my past and my experience? Is pessimism becoming the prophecy of my future? <clears throat> and I don't think any of us wanna be there. I love what David says. He says, I'll call upon the Lord. He's running for his life. Bear in mind, he's been anointed to be king, but now what he's doing is he's running for his life. But he was confident in the Lord. Look at Psalm 27. Though an army besiege me, not just one person, not just gossip on social media, not just the people in the workplace, but though an army besiege me, my heart won't fear. Though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident. My favourite of all time, Psalm 27, 13 says this, I am still confident of this. I am still confident that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for it, don't give up. I am still confident. Friends, I want you to know that when your default is a confidence, come on somebody, when your default is a confidence in God, that is a game changer. What do you reckon your life would be like if you were a little bit more confident in God? What do you reckon you'd try if our confidence in God, if our confidence quotient was a little bit higher? Confidence. As a young preacher, my fiance, now wife, she said to me this, she said, Glenn, when you walk on any stage in the world to preach, walk like you've got something to say. She said, honey, put your shoulders back, lift up your chins. I thought that's a bit cheeky. Lift up your chins and walk like you got something to say. 
She said to me, when God opens doors of opportunity for you and you walk in rooms and think, I don't belong here, how did I get here? It's bigger than where I'm at. She said, walk into rooms like you belong. My dad taught me when you're shaking hands with somebody, look them in the eye. Tell them you believe in them. Shake hands with confidence. Come here, Paul. Do you know what I mean? Like a, like a proper handshake. No, no, not kind of the fingertip sort of thing. No, no, the proper handshake, the proper one. The proper one looks in the eye. Confidence. I, w- I want you to know, friends, have a default of confidence in God. In Jesus' Name. I just wanted to shake your hand. That's all, Paul. <laughs> the second thing is being tested when you face opposition and challenge is your defence. Not only your default, but also your defence. Verse three, what will He do to you and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? The Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he once said this, better a dumb generation than a lying one. Dumb not being silly, but dumb being mute, unable to speak, better not to speak than be someone who has a deceitful tongue. And really what's happening here is this, is that David is prophesying, David is speaking over the the enemies, those who are coming against him. And he's kind of reminding himself that God is on his side. God's my great defender. God is for me. God will work this out. God will make things happen. God will bring the truth into light at the appropriate time. He is the defender. Let's be honest for a second. Have you ever wished for revenge on someone? Stabbed in the back again. Lies, gossip, slander again. You ever sat there and thought, hmm, oh, I wish. (laughs) David's going one better. David's not just wishing revenge. He's taking it to God. He say, God, I know you will have revenge for me. Because while the enemies come against me, I know that you are my great defender. And I just think church, it's so important that we get this in this day where everybody's offended and everybody's angry. Not everybody, it's an exaggeration. But the world feels so toxic and everybody's upset. Not everybody, a generalisation, but many people. It's so remember to come back to this truth. Romans 8, if God is for us. What then shall we say in response to all this? What then shall we say in response to the slander? The difficulty, the bankruptcy, the hardship, uh, the, 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 the sickness in the body. What then shall we say in response to what everybody is trying to do against us, the church? What shall we say if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us also, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? I think church, our confidence needs to be and conviction needs to be that great that if He's prepared to die for us, He won't abandon you now. He's our great defender. I remember many years ago in my first church as a youth pastor, uh, serving my pastor, I landed, we left Australia, moved to England and we arrived in the church at a very difficult time. 
and there was slander and all sorts of things being spoken against him. And I said to the pastor, pastor, you should stand up and you should make a statement on Sunday. And he says, I will never do that because God is our defence. And every Sunday, he just kept preaching the Gospel. He just kept preaching faith. He kept speaking hope and life and love and liberty. He kept speaking the truth of the Word of God. And the reality is this, friends, is that in all your hardships, God has always been your defender. Come on. And we can make things better or worse. Let me tell you how we make things worse. We make things worse when our default is not a God-centred default. When we tweet back, when we Instagram back, when we TikTok back, when we social media back, when we email back, when we get up in somebody's face, we're actually making things worse. But the confidence, friends, you can have as a Christian is say this, God is my defender. He will defend. To have a conviction that's that deep. And I love what it says here in verse four. He says, He will punish you. So with the person who's speaking against you, with a person who's coming after you, with these challenging times, God will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows and with burning coals of the broom tree. That's pretty random, isn't it? But listen, God can use anything to defend you. If He can use the locusts in Israel, if He can bring the raven to feed Elijah, if He can get the fish to swallow Jonah, God can use anything to defend you. It's interesting here because it says he'll use the broom tree. The broom tree is always also known as the juniper tree. And one of the amazing things about the juniper, the broom tree is this, is that when there has been a fire, the fire can come through and burn the tree and the fire can then move on. But the interesting thing about the broom tree is that it retains the heat of the fire. Friends, I want you to know, it's one thing to be scarred by life's battles, but another thing to retain the heat. And when you retain the heat, the hurt, the pain of life's challenges, then I want you to know that's going to hurt you, but it's this recognition that in our lives, God is our defence. 20 years ago, I read a beautiful book, amazing book by Stephen Covey. And in there, it talks about the circles of control and no control. You can see it coming up on screen here. And it's just a simple recognition that in your lives, there are some things you can control and some things you can't control. What you can't control, uh, it's endless. So you can't control other people's motives, how others react, the actions of others, the amount of toilet paper at the store. You can't control tax. You can't control the weather. You can't control so many things. And it's amazing how often we live in this circle that we can't control. And we allow that which we can't control to dictate and determine our life. But if we just stand up and go, you know what? I'm not living in the circle of no control. I'm gonna go into the circle that I can control. I can't control my attitude. I can control my choices. And I can control my responses. You see, I wanna suggest that by living in the circle that you can't control, the circle of no control, I want you to know in that the anxiety and the lack of peace goes goes to, to whole new levels, friends. But when you just come back over here and say, you know what, I'm gonna sit in the circle of control. God is my defence. He will fight for me. It's amazing, I believe, how much peace can come in those moments. The third thing that happens, I've got to go quickly, is this. The third thing that's challenged when you're being tested is your lament. Your lament. Verse five, woe to me that I dwell in Meshach 
that I live among the tents of Kedar. David is lamenting his loss. And friends, I want you to know that as children of God, it's okay to lament, to be sorrowful. It's okay to mourn. The Bible talks a lot about it. There's a book called Lamentations. It's okay to be mournful and be sorrowful as long as our default is God honouring that He is our defence. And David here, what he's doing is he's lamenting his loss. He's, he's, in, a, he's in Meshach, he's, he's with foreign people. In other words, he's saying, I'm not at home. And there's something about home. The word kidah, it means this, it means dark. And so even though he's in this place of lament, of sorrow, I'm not with my people, I'm, I'm not at home. I'm a man of peace and yet there's war raging around me. He keeps coming back to this whole idea that he's, he's still confident in God. You can be confident in God. Yeah. Let me tell you what faith is. Faith is not ignorance. Faith is not closing your eyes to reality. Faith is not saying those hardships don't exist. Faith is remembering what God said. Back in 1994, when I was in Sydney, Australia, God spoke to me three things. Go back to England, the country of your birth. One day you'll plant a church, secondly. And thirdly, one day you'll become the national leader of Assemblies of God in Great Britain. And I remember the night that God told it to me, I've still got it in my prayer journal, those three things. And you know, moving back to England was, was easy, it's home. Coming to Manchester, the city of my birth and planning a church, that was easy because that was exciting. But the third thing, the journey of becoming the national leader of the Sems of God movement of churches, 600 churches in the UK, 370,000 globally, and currently now sitting on the Pentecostal World Council of Churches globally, being a part of that team. And it's a beautiful honour to be there. But I gotta be honest, ask Stuart and Julie and the team five, six, seven years ago, we were on a countdown to leave Assemblies of God, the movement of churches. I mean, stuff had been said and some people who should have known better said some pretty horrible things. And we were like, we don't see a future here. And, and the council in our world, people who, who are speaking into our lives, people saying, you should, just, you should just leave, you should just leave, you should just leave. But, but faith remembers what God says. And it was like, yeah, yeah, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna do a two-year countdown. If things don't change, we're gonna leave. And you know something, after those two years, nothing changed. People are like, are we leaving? Like, I got a word. I wish I didn't. But faith remembers what God says. It's okay to lament. But let's make our lament one that's based in the Word of God. God, you said... You said, and even though this hardship's happening, you said, remind God of what He said. The fourth thing that's being challenged is this, is your decisions are being challenged. Verse six and seven, too long have I lived among those people who hate peace. I'm a man of peace, but when I speak there for war, to live with a peace hater for a night is dangerous. Decisions. You ever been in a situation, friends, where you picked the wrong fight? You're kind of in the middle of a fight, an argument, a challenge. You think, oh my gosh, why did I pick this fight? I was 16 years of age. We'd moved from Australia to the suburbs of Manchester. I was playing for my rugby team three times a week, training twice and, and playing on, a, on the weekend. And so I was pretty fit. I was pretty healthy. I was a rugby player, so I knew how to fight. Kind of fighting is kind of rules for rugby, really. 
And one day after, after college, after school, I'm playing football on the field with some local boys in the neighbourhood. And, and this guy got up in my face. Uh, his name was Vinny. And Vinny got up in my face and he, he started to kind of, kind of, you know, hustle in on me. And, and, I, and I'm kind of pushing back on him and, and all these sort of things. And we are nose to nose. You ever pick the wrong fight? We are nose to nose. Our noses are touching. You know that moment? It's, it's about to kick off. It's all like Donkey Kong is what we're saying. And as I'm stood nose to nose, I remember something. He is the champion boxer for the east side of Manchester. You ever picked the wrong fight? I just suddenly pooped my pants as a 16 year old, not as a nose to nose. I thought I need to get out of this. I'm embarrassed to say this. That the only way I could think of a way out to be a peacemaker. So I um, kissed him. <laughs> I can't believe I said that on stage in church. <laughs> kissed him on the lips. He was like, oh, what are you doing? I tell you something, that diffused the situation very quickly. The Bible says a gentle answer or a gentle kiss turns away wrath. <laughs> Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Matthew 5.9, nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God and children of God. So I wanna say this church, though you may be in distress, be at peace. Because the Bible says, I call on the Lord in my distress and He answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips, from deceitful tongues. I call in the Lord in my distress. So friends, in your next challenge, in your current challenge, what's been your first point of call? Has it been anger? Has it been to react? Has it been to send that email, that social media comment? Or has it been to step back and go to God? Some of you right now are going through great hardship. And our hearts break with you and break for you. But do what the Psalmist did. Do what the pilgrims reminded themselves of thousands of years ago, three and 4,000. Do this, I, I will call upon the Lord in my distress. And having had a not favourable report on my eye this week, I can tell you that I was reminded back in 2021 when I had my operation and things, excuse the pun, no pun intended, things were so dark. The, the, the week, the two weeks that I was at home with a patch over my eye and, and, and two o'clock in the morning, just waking up, feeling distressed and 
and, and my mind circling out of control. My runaway thoughts were trying to find my stowaway thoughts to try to confirm the worst case scenario. My mind is running all over the place. And I had stowaway thoughts that said, what happens if my eye doesn't get better? What happens if get the disease in the other eye? What happens if they have to take my eye out? All these sorts of questions. My runaway was trying to confirm those stowaway thoughts and it was dark, 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 dark. And the Lord whispered, He says, Son, do you love me enough to get up and worship me one more time? And while Soph was sleeping, I got out of my bed and I went into the lounge and I put on my ear pods and I walked and I paced and I worshipped for two hours until it lifted. Trouble is it came back the next night, runaway thoughts, trying to connect with those stowaway thoughts. And so for four or five nights, I was up worshipping until I reached that point of sort of answering the Lord where I said, God, knowing You is better than knowing why. And sometimes friends, in the midst of the hardship, the challenge, you gotta praise your way through to revelation. That's why, that's why I say to you every Sunday, if you miss the praise, you miss the point of corporate prayer and praise. Would you stand to your feet with me, everybody? Lamentations chapter three. 21 to 26. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions, they never fail. Would you lift your hands to heaven, everybody, as I read this prayer out over you? Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 